Testament account of something that happened that we can learn a lesson from, and then we're going to shift it over to the New Testament to apply it. The Bible says that the Old Testament is given to us for an example, and that's what I hope to do with it today. Uh, Exodus chapter 17, starting in verse 8, I'm going to read several verses. Familiar account in the Bible of the Jews fighting the Amalekites. Starting in verse 8, Then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out men and go out, fight with Amalek. Uh, tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses had said to him, and fought with Amalek. Uh, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy, so they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat thereon. And Aaron and Hur stayed on his hands, the one on one side and the and on the other uh, and the other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun, and Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And the Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book, and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua, for I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called it Jehovah Nisi. For he said, because the Lord has sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. That's a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, just thank you for this opportunity to uh, stand up here with your word. Lord, I do pray that you would uh, keep the enemies of our souls at bay. Lord, I pray, I plead the blood. And Lord, I, I believe that the enemy wouldn't uh, want people to take this this truth to heart. Uh, but Lord Jesus, I just plead your power and the power of your cross over this message. I pray that you would speak to hearts that are receptive, move in their hearts, and hearts that aren't receptive. Lord, I pray that you would uh, make them more receptive. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're just going to just look at how, the story. Just go through a little bit here. The, the Amalekites, of course, were... Uh, enemies of the Jews from when they came across the Red Sea. They came out of, the Jews came across, came out of Egypt, which is a picture of salvation, and they came through the Red Sea in a very miraculous way. It was un undoubtedly that God was the one who delivered them. And uh, they weren't in the, uh, the other side of the Red Sea very long, just a number of days, and all of a sudden they started being attacked by these Amalekites who were desert people, and uh, they kind of just came up behind the Jewish forces, the Jewish population, and started picking off the, um, the weak ones, if you will. And uh, the Amalekites, for this reason, they were, they were hated, and they were kind of the arch enemies of Israel throughout the Old Testament. And um, they were, because they had attacked Israel in such an unprovoked uh, manner. Uh, that's why they were hated very much. Uh, just turn over just quickly. I'm, we're going to come back here to Exodus, but turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 25. It has something to say about the uh, about the Amalekites. 
Deuteronomy chapter 25, and I'm going to read just two verses, verse 17 and 18, says, Remember what Amalek did unto thee by, by the way when you were come forth out of Egypt, how he met thee by the way and smote the hindermost of thee, even all that were feeble behind thee, when thou wast faint and weary, and he feared not God. And turn back to Exodus chapter 17. So, the Amalekites are a picture of the flesh. And uh, there are many comparisons. Uh, they had to deal with, uh, the Jews had to deal with this attack as soon as they were saved. And the comparison is as soon as we get saved and come out of the old life, come out of the, uh, um, the unredeemed life, right away the enemy will start attacking us. And I'm going to show you some of the comparisons and why they are uh, considered as a type or as a picture of the flesh that we deal with and that fights against us in these New Testament times. The first thing I want you to just to notice is that the Amalekites in verse 8 were the ones that started the conflict. They fought with Israel. And just to go through this very quickly, verse 9, Joshua, of course, he, or Moses says to Joshua, okay, pick out some men. We're going to fight these Amalekites. And uh, Moses reminds him in verse, uh, also in verse 10, that, uh, or verse 9, that he is going to, Moses is going to have the rod of God with him. And that was the rod that Moses used to do a lot of miracles in, in Egypt. And he, that's the rod that he threw down and it ate all the uh, magician's rods that had turned into snakes. That's the rod that he used to part the Red Sea. And Moses was reminding Joshua that he was going to have that rod with him. And so um, he also told him in verse 10 that he was going to be up in the top of the hill with this rod while they were fighting the battle down below. And so the battle started and Moses quickly noticed that when he held up the rod like this, that the, the forces, the army that Joshua was lead, leading down below started getting a big advantage. And after a while, when his hands started getting tired and he, and he, he thought, well, they're doing pretty good down there. They, they're really handling their weapons pretty good. I got to take a break. And he went like this and all of a sudden, uh, the Jews started suffering uh, wounds and so forth and so on. And so he, he was fighting with energy to hold it up. And it ended up that, uh, I don't know whose idea it was, the Bible doesn't say, but it ended up that Aaron and Hur, they, they sat Moses down, and Moses held the staff like this, and he had Aaron on one side, and he had uh, Hur on the other side holding it up. And he was able to keep his hands up only because they, they helped him until the sun went down. And, of course, we know that there was a great victory that day for God's people. Now, <clears throat> in verse 13, <clears throat> this is important, that the Lord reminded Moses where this victory came from. And uh, actually, verse 14. The Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book, and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua, for I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And so God, after the battle was won, 
God told Moses, hey, I want you to write this down, record it in a book for a memorial, and make sure you remind Joshua how this victory came about. It wasn't because Joshua and his men were better with the swords and the spears than their enemies. It was only because God had intervened on their behalf and gave them the victory. And so the principle here is this, that God defeated the Amalekites. Verse 16 says this, because the Lord has sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. He didn't just defeat them once. We see other times in scripture where the Jewish people or Israel fought against Amalek. One was Saul. God told Saul to destroy all the Amalekites. And of course, Saul was disobedient and didn't destroy them all. And then hundreds of years later, again, David uh, attacked the Amalekites in southern Israel when he was in the land of the Philistines before he was set up as king. And so it wasn't just a one-time victory over the Amalekites. It was several battles that they had. And God says that this was going to take place from generation to generation. And so the comparison is a lot of times you'll hear people teach on this scripture and they'll remind people, just like the Amalekites, is it going to be a continual battle throughout your days? So it's going to be in the New Testament. The, the picture that they represent of the flesh is not going to be a one-time victory, but there's going to be many battles along the way. But oftentimes, I find, when people teach on this, they emphasize that you are going to be in a fight with the flesh for the rest, all of your saved days. You are going to be in a battle with the flesh. It's going to be continual. Expect it, etc., etc. From generation to generation, just like uh, verse 16 says. But here's the part that I think we often miss. Verse 16 says, The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. The only reason why the Jews won this battle over the Amalekites is because the Lord fought against him. And the same thing is true for us in New Testament times. We will not, cannot, will never defeat this spiritual enemy, Satan, using our flesh in our own strength. It takes God to war against it for us. And I'll get to that just a little bit further in the message. But I just want to say one more thing about this portion of Scripture you'll notice that you notice that it's interesting that when Moses was holding up the rod of God you don't, you don't see his prayer or if he prayed a prayer and you don't see any recorded prayer for Aaron or her for all the time that they stood up there and held that rod and watched the battle, there's not one word of prayer that's given. And, you know, I think that possibly, this is just my own conclusion, but I think it's possibly if they did utter a specific prayer, the chances are that the Jews for all through the Old Testament times 
would see that prayer of Moses and say, yeah, that's fair. If we just pray that prayer, we'll have to... And nothing will happen if it's just a prayer. You know, there's a lot of empty words that are spoken, but they're not mixed with trusting faith. And I'm sure that there are many churches in this city today that people have spoken empty words. They have them all... They could say them better than you or I, the Lord's Prayer. And they pray words like, uh, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us, but really they hate this person and this relative, etc., etc. And they pray words like, deliver us from evil. Uh, and it's not mixed with, they don't really believe what they're praying. And you know, the same thing is true with words. I, I wouldn't... I wouldn't try to pick out any exact words or point to any specific people, but I'm sure there's people in this room today that sang words from our songbook that were just words uh, without any real belief or trust or faith applied with them. You know, I think that can happen a lot of times with, you know, you hear about people that said a sinner's prayer, and then... Somebody might say, well, did they get saved? They, they don't look any different. They're, they're just doing the same things they did before. I don't see any difference in their life. Could it be that they just said words and they didn't, didn't really understand what they were saying or they didn't really put trusting faith in the Savior behind the words and how he suffered and died and paid for their sin? They said the words. And when that happens, of course, there is, no, there is no new life. There is no supernatural transformation of a life, as the Bible says, that when a person gets saved, they become a new creature. And so, it's not the words necessarily. It's the trusting God. I mean, even in the Old Testament, there's a portion of Scripture where there was a curse on the Jews and the snake was lifted up on the tree and on the pole. And it was a type that was also a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, he would die on the, on the tree. But all they had to do was look. Look to that and be saved. And so it's not a, any magic formula for saying specific words, how we can get victory in the power of God and deliverance in our life. It's by looking to God in faith. And so, <clears throat> of course, there's other examples of, uh, of this fight being the Lord's battle. David, when he was fighting with Goliath, he, he said, uh, when he spoke this, he said, the battle is the Lord's. And Joshua said in uh, Joshua 14, uh, if it be so that the Lord's with me, then I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord saith. And so, again, Amalek is a picture of the flesh battling us New Testament believers. Well, you say, what do you mean the flesh? What are, what are the works of the flesh? I won't get you to turn there, but I'll read this nasty list of the works of the flesh. Bear with me. Galatians 5.19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, 
And verse 17 says, For the lust of the flesh, uh, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to another, so that you cannot do the things which you would. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 7, 4, that I know in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good things. No good thing. And Romans chapter 8 and verse 8 says, so that they that are in the flesh cannot please God. We know when we get saved, our soul gets saved. We get God's promise that he has reserved a place in heaven for us, not because we deserve it, because we have managed to uh, quit sinning, or we've done any number of good things to earn this gift. Heaven is a free gift, again, just based on a, on a trusting faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But our spirit is made alive, our soul is saved, but our body is not redeemed. One day we'll have a glorified body, but as we live this Christian life, this flesh wars against us. It hounds us just like the Amalekites hounded the Jews through the years. But we don't have to be defeated. Just like the Israelites defeated the Amalekites with God's power, there is a way to have God's power moment by moment, day by day, to get victory over this flesh that the devil uses. The devil will use the world, the flesh, and the devil to tempt us, to get us out of sorts with God, to get us... unusable to get us away from God. Let me tell you some ways how people try to handle temptation. When temptation comes, whatever form it is, whether it's lust of the eyes, whether it's pride, whether it's uh, gossip, whether it's any number of sins, how do you handle it? You know, Some people say, well, I just say no. When the temptation comes, I just refuse to do it. You can say that, but you know yourself that you're not getting the victory over that thing. You can say that, but you're still losing, and God will convict you of the sins that you committed because you don't have strength on your own. I don't have strength on my own to get victory over any temptation. But some, some people will say, uh, yeah, I just... I just say no. Somebody has said this. It has been said that the Christian life isn't difficult. It's impossible. Which means we can't live a successful, God-honoring life on our own strength. Listen what uh, Wilbur Chapman, evangelist Wilbur Chapman said. It's not a question as to whether I can keep myself from sinning. I know I cannot, for I've tried for many years. But the question is, to whether Jesus Christ can keep me. Who am I, should I that I should limit the power of the Almighty? He's able to save to the uttermost. And so, that's one group that just handles temptation by just human willpower. I got character. I can, I can handle it. I can handle myself. But another group has the thinking, if I can just memorize more scripture, if I can maybe read more, but if I can memorize more scripture, there's got to be the victory there. 
I, I read recently, or I actually heard recently, of this evangelist who was told when he was a young man, probably around 20, that if you want to have victory over temptation, all you have to do, memorize Romans chapter 6. If you memorize Romans chapter 6, you're going to be able to have victory. And so this young fella took his time. He memorized Romans chapter 6, word for word. Had it all down pat. And he got nothing changed. He got zero victory. And you know... <clears throat> When I was struggling with some things in my life as a Christian, and not even as an early Christian, I had been saved for years, and I was in the, I was in the category of knowing that my sin was displeasing God, but not knowing how to get victory over it. And so I memorized some, some scripture. I memorized, probably a lot of you haven't memorized, uh, Psalm 119, verse 11. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. I had that memorized. And I had uh, 1, 1 Corinthians 10.13. There's no temptation taking you, but such is common to man. But when you're tempted, uh, God will provide a way, make, make a way to escape, uh, and so forth. I had scripture memorized, but guess what? Nothing happened. Nothing changed. I didn't have any victory. I had it all memorized, word for word. Nothing changed. I asked, I asked a friend of mine recently from Niagara Falls, thinking about this message, what do you do when out of the clear blue sky you get some lustful thought that comes through your mind. What do you do? And he said, I confess it. And you know, I think probably anybody in this room who really is trying to be right with God all the time probably does the same thing. You get a wicked thought come in your mind and, Lord, forgive me for this wicked, forgive me for this wicked heart. Amen. A lot of times, what people don't realize, temptation itself is not sin. And so, when there isn't any, especially you'll recognize it, when there isn't any physical, outward thing that tempts you. A girl didn't walk by in a bikini, or you didn't uh, come by any other natural temptation that you can explain, well, that's why I had that thought. No, no. I'm talking about the fiery darts that Satan puts in our mind. And the Bible says that he has this power to give us thoughts. And as a matter of fact, one of the biggest deceptions of Satan is this. He will give us this sinful, impure thought. Then when we realize it's there and we're deciding whether or not to not conceive it any farther to get rid of it, he, he's probably whispering in the background, go ahead, go ahead, have another look, go, go ahead. And so then if, if we do go ahead and sin at that point, he'd be the first one to come back and whisper in our ear, you're a pretty, 
shoddy Christian. You are, you are a mess. God will never use you. You're wicked. And the devil will try to discourage us that way. But here's what I want you to see. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says, was tempted in all ways such as man, yet without sin. Temptation is not sin. The Bible says that in order to make it sin, in James it says, when lust hath conceived, bringeth forth sin, and sin bringeth forth death. Just the devil putting a wicked image, a wicked thought, a simple temptation in your mind, the moment it comes, it's not sin until you dwell on it and choose to conceive and turn it into sin. One man said this, there is an opportunity to escape temptation. The Bible says that in that verse, 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13, that there is a way to escape. And that way to escape is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't just come to this earth to deliver us from the penalty of sin. He came to this earth to deliver us from the power of sin and the power of temptation. And so, the way to escape is, of course, running to Jesus. And it's not by saying any specific prayer. It's just looking to him in faith. One woman that I read about, she simply prayed this when she got one of those wicked, sinful temptations. Save me, Jesus. You don't even have to say it out loud. Other people just say things like, Lord, I'm trusting in your, in your blood. I'm trusting, Lord, I'm trusting in your resurrected life in me. Give me power to resist. And so, but there is a window of opportunity. There's, some say it's a four-second window. There's no specific time. But from the time the thought, the impure thought enters your mind, before it turns into sin, there is, God has given us enough time to either, as the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10.5, in order that we might cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. People read that verse. In fact, turn, turn over there. 1 Corinthians 10.5. People read that verse and they say, see, there it is right there. We have power to cast down every imagination and every high thing. And, you know, that was probably one of the verses, seriously, that I had memorized, but... Verse 12 talks about the person that's, that says, well, hey, come on. I know what the Bible says. I've been saved for a long time. Yeah, yeah, I know what it says. Yeah, I know temptation is not sin. Look, I can handle it. Verse 12, that's him. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he sin take heed lest he fall. That's a person that's trying to resist temptation in his own strength, his own will, his own character. Uh, verse um, 13, but there is no temptation taken to you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which we are able. It's God that's faithful to deliver us. It's not our own strength. And if you and I keep trusting in our own strength, we'll never have the peace and the victory and the power uh, that God wants us to hand in our, have in our life.
Let me tell you what happens when a person is tempted and before it is even conceived, just the first sight of it, already they're confessing it. Lord, forgive me for my wicked heart. Forgive me for that sin. What happens is, when we do that, we're admitting to a sin that we haven't committed. We're being deceived by Satan with his temptation, believing that our heart is so wicked, and this, this, thought of, this temptation thought must have come from my wicked heart. And really, it came from Satan, and so we confess it. And then after we confess it, we kind of feel down in the dumps. How can I have such a wicked thought? What's wrong with me? You know. And then the devil will come in and beat us up a little bit more. It's a mistake. Don't get me wrong. I believe in keeping short accounts with God. I believe when we sin, we need to confess it right away. And that God will forgive us right away. He's faithful and just, so when you confess it, we'll have that forgiveness through the blood of Christ. But what I'm saying to you, don't confess sins that are just fiery darts of the wicked one. You're admitting to something that you didn't do. And then you enter into the sin because that you're admitting to a sin that you haven't committed, and you actually enter into the temptation when that happens. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15 says this, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but Jesus was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Jesus is the way to escape temptation. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. But he's also the way to temptation. He's the deliverer. Victory over the flesh is not any religious work. Victory over temptation has nothing to do with how much you give, how often you go to church, how good you think you're living your Christian life. Victory over individual temptation is in a person, Jesus Christ. He's the one that has power. All power is given unto me in heaven and earth, he said. We need, the only victory we will ever get over temptation is through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you've taken it too far, if the temptation has come, and rather than going to Jesus for deliverance, we just let it simmer there for a minute. Next thing you know, it's already conceived and turned into a sinful thought. It's too late. It's too late to say, Lord, Lord, deliver me. No, you've crossed the line. It, it has conceived in your heart, and, it produced, and it's sin, but there's still forgiveness. But it's a, it's a very discouraging Christian life like the Apostle Paul had to keep sinning and confessing. And even worse, to confess things that you didn't really do. Satan wants to th us to think that his thoughts are our thoughts but, and, and that he, he is in us. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And once we realize that he is a deceiver, and understand that these thoughts that come to us aren't from our wicked heart. God has given us a new heart where the Holy Spirit lives. This flesh is contaminated, uh, subject to temptation, but Satan deceives us into thinking that all these wicked thoughts and temptation are coming from our hearts. 
Somebody has said, Jesus is sufficient for every temptation. Hebrews 2 and chapter 17 says, Wherefore in all things it behooved him, Jesus, to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of his people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. Now, the word succor is not the word that we use regularly today, but here's the definition of it. Uh, give assistance or aid to, especially someone who is suffering or in need, to run to the rescue. The Lord Jesus says, hey, I'm here. When you're tempted, I'm here to deliver you. I will, I will run to, I'm not far, I live in you. See, you know what the trouble is? Why a lot of times don't go to Jesus? They don't, you don't really believe Jesus lives in your heart. Oh yeah, you've got some head notion that the Holy Spirit lives in your heart. But you don't really believe Jesus lives in your heart and that he could deliver you by his power. I mean... Romans chapter 8 and verse 9 says, If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. The Spirit of Christ lives in us. And the Holy Spirit also lives in us. But they're separate individuals, separate personalities. And Jesus is with us, wants to deliver us. You have to believe that he's in you, not just in some intellectual way, but he actually lives in you with the Holy Spirit. And that he will deliver you just like he says he will. Somebody has says, said this, on our own, we are no match for the devil, but we are not on our own. But the devil is no match for Jesus. And so, if Christians would only exercise that power when temptation comes, it'll blow your mind how fast in, in that interval before it conceives and turns into sin, whether you're going to tell a lie or whether you're going to have an impure thought or whether you're going to swear or whatever it might be, and if you were by faith just to talk to Jesus, run to Jesus, look to Jesus, you'll be amazed at the victory that you'll get over temptation. I read this about a man who was explaining this, and he said, when a man, a Christian man goes by and sees a billboard that's provocative and in his character and the standards that he has, he, he just goes like that and turns away from it, which is good. However, turning away from that temptation on your own, even though he turned away, that thought is still there. And that thought could still turn into a lustful, sinful issue. Because we cannot deliver ourselves. We are not stronger than the power of, powers of darkness. You can't defeat Satan or any of his imps, and I can't either. But God has provided a way how we can have deliverance. If only we'll just put our trust in Jesus. In his victory on the cross. In his shed blood. He knows how to handle things on this earth. He lived here. He, he knows how to help us. And he has all power. He never did sin. So again, the window of opportunity that all of us get before we're tempted. The Bible says that he knows the words in our mouth before we speak them. 
And so when this temptation comes, God knows where it's going. And if we don't run to Jesus for power to get delivered from it, we're going that way too. And uh, it's displeasing to the Lord. And it's just a very miserable, unhappy Christian life. Again, that verse from James says, Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And when sin, when it's finished, it bringeth forth death. Have you ever noticed on your phone, I think probably everybody has got a cell phone these days except for pastor. But, I mean, even an old guy like me has a cell phone, right? And have you ever noticed on your phone, you'll be checking the news or the sports or something, and all of a sudden, you'll get some wicked picture come up, eh? And so, if you genuinely have an intention of not letting that stuff be a part of your life, you'll try to get out of that screen, you know, put your hand over the part and try to get out. Have you ever noticed that it seems to be locked oftentimes when you've got a, come on! <laughs> you know, the Bible says that he's a prince of the power of the air. And I don't know, but it seems kind of obvious in that situation. But I'm telling you, Jesus can deliver us from those kind of things, those kind of temptations. James 4, 7 says this, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And so, submit means, Lord, I understand I don't have power over this temptation. I understand that you have all power. I'm submitting to your power. You don't have time to say all that in just a few seconds of that window of opportunity. But you can look to Jesus and just say, Lord, help me, deliver me. And the Lord will know that you're putting your trust in him. And the Bible says if we'll submit to his power, he will give us power to resist the devil. We won't have the power to resist the devil. I don't care how, how much character you have or how long you've been saved. We don't have power to resist or to defeat the enemy's temptation. But the Bible says that he doesn't just stop the temptation. Jesus will give us power and he has to flee. He has to flee. And so going to Jesus for power to resist temptation not only stops that temptation... But God tells us that the devil is, Jesus has that authority that commands him, get out of here. I, per, I own this, this Christian. I bought him with my blood. I rebuke you. Leave him. And so, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. You know, sometimes we don't really totally get everything we got when we got saved, but the Bible tells us when we get saved, we're baptized into Christ. And so we become a part of his... The first thing we understand, I guess, is we become a part of his death, burial, and resurrection. We literally, because we got on board with him, we became a part of everything in his life. As a matter of fact, if you're saved today, you're not going to get eternal life one day. You already have eternal life. Jesus' eternal life is living in you. Your eternal life started the moment you got saved. And so, when we got saved, we also became a part of his 
life while we're here on this earth, but also we became a part of his seat in the heavenlies. Jesus, we don't understand it because God is omnipresent. But Jesus can be in my heart and in your heart, sitting on the throne of God, or over in Ukraine, in some Christian church. Jesus is omnipresent. He is God in its fullness. And we have the authority over Satan and all his forces on Jesus' authority, not on our own religious facade, nothing but on Jesus and his blood and his victory over Satan. Satan is defeated. He's a defeated foe, and even though it hasn't totally played out like uh, Revelation tells us is going to happen, he is a defeated foe. Jesus is the head of the church. He lives in me. And uh, we sit in heavenly places with him. And so there is power for us. You know, Galatians says this, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world. Jesus wants to deliver us from the evil in this world, from the sin, from the temptation. It's there. Most Christians don't believe it. Most Christians don't believe that Jesus can deliver you from temptation. So they just fight it on their own and fail. Confess more sin. Uh, live their life as a, a dull Christian, never attempting much because they really don't think, what's the use? God will never use me. I'm just a wicked sinner. The Bible says in Colossians, we're complete in him which is the head of all principalities and powers. Scripture also says in Philippians 2.10 that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow of things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth. 2 Corinthians 1.10 says, Who delivered us, past tense, from so great a death, doth deliver us, the present tense, in whom we trust, and that he will yet deliver us. God Jesus Christ is the deliverer, not just from hell. He's the deliverer from the power of Satan in our lives, and he will one day be the deliverer us into heaven in our glorified body. And so, 2 Timothy 4.18 says, And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work. The interesting thing about a person claiming authority when temptation comes in their life is this. It's not based on how old you are. It's not based on how spiritually mature you are or how long you've been saved. It's not even based on how long you've been right with God. Let's say that uh, you confessed some sin before you came to church. And uh, then some temptation came your way and you wanted to put this truth into practice. There's no limitations because you just sinned two hours ago that God won't answer this prayer. This prayer is based on Jesus' power as we apply our trusting faith to believing that he has power to deliver us, like he says in the scripture. Jesus is the victor of Calvary. He won, and Satan lost. Genesis 3.15 says that Satan was bruised. John 12.31 and 32 says that Satan was cast out. John 16 verse 11 says that Satan was judged. And uh, Colossians 2.15 says he was spoiled. He's been defeated. 
He only has power over us as we allow him to deceive us. He doesn't have, he can't make us sin. He can give us thoughts and, and try to get us to sin. He can tempt us, but he can't make us sin. And Jesus can make us not sin if we'll just apply our faith to him. <clears throat> the rest of Satan's existence will be played out in the future as per the book of Revelation that I, I mentioned before. But he is right now debilitated. He's very much weakened. He has no power. He will never uh, be able to defeat the powers of heaven. He'll never be able to do anything to hurt uh, Jesus or Jesus' church if he, if he is behind us. He's the way to escape. You know, just like we can acquire bad habits over a period of time, if you start practicing this principle when temptation comes, It'll blow you away how God is real and Jesus' power is real to deliver you from that moment of temptation. I couldn't believe it when I first, I read a book in regards to this probably uh, four years ago now. And when I first started applying this principle, the thought came to my mind, no wonder I can't get victory over this temptation. No wonder I'm trying to fight this temptation in my own strength. No wonder I'm not. And when I started praying, I started getting victory. You say, are you sinless? No. But, you know, I sin a lot less. It's, it's a surprise when Satan trips me up now. As before, it used to be a surprise when I got victory. And so what I'm saying to you is there is victory. It's a real supernatural victory by a supernatural God. And we just need to believe that Jesus is there and that he is the overcomer and he wants to make us an overcomer. Here's what D.L. Moody said. My friends, you are no match for Satan. And he wants to fight you. Just run to your elder brother, Jesus, who is more than a match for all the devils of hell. And D.L. Moody also said this. The trouble is, people do not know that Christ is the deliverer. They forget that the Son of God can keep them from sin as well as forgive them. And so, read you a couple of verses from 2 Corinthians chapter 10. It says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. It's God's power that enables us to get victory over the strongholds and temptation of the enemy and all of his fallen, uh, unclean spirits. And so we can cast down imaginations and these temptations when they come if we run to Jesus and trust in his authority and his power. Paul prayed in Romans chapter 7 and said, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. I believe Paul's life was changed when he came to that conclusion that the only way he was going to have deliverance from temptation and sin, instead of going into a revolving thing of temptation, confession, sin, and I'll read you one last quote. In the hour of sore, sore temptation, the only way to get delivered from the trigger of sin is to promptly give it to Jesus. The first step to stop, the first step is to stop trying 
to defeat the temptation in our flesh and in our own strength. If we hand it over to Jesus, we will find that he's able to deliver and keep us day by day.